Blog Talk Radio. This week's Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash Dungeon Crawlers Radio to start your free trial membership. Broadcasting live from the PCR studio. The Emperor has been expecting you. Where Geekishik and Pandemonium reign supreme. Come to the coast and get together, have a few laughs. Your host will discuss everything you need to know about the world of Geek. Oh yeah! So grab your staff, throw on your cape, and roll your 20-sided die. Because it's time for... Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Welcome, game over, to another exciting episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Hi, where people are dying everywhere. Yes, yes. I don't know why, but they are. I don't. I, I can't hear you. I cannot hear you. You're, I you're, hear you're you. not on. Am I on? You did not even turn your mic on. No. I turned I turned yours on. Well, thank you for turning mine on. See, my heart's in the right place. It's that's that's scary. You, you brought the whole b- bag in. May as well. Yes. Well, see, this is the best part. We have tried for months to get Chris the intern to do something, and he finally did something. Hey. <laughs> it wasn't hey. coffee. I I, I build the server. That's <laughs> not good enough for you people. Um. Hey, I'm. Okay. I'm staying out of that one. We'll stay out of that one. <laughs> I'm staying out of that one. So we have a. Uh, we should probably go through the roll call. This is Revan. It's a guy named Cho. I'm back. Minus one tooth. <laughs> and this is the great, mighty, and powerful Lord Lagoon. And oh, you're gonna let me go before the the guy that's visiting? Yes. Oh, good. Chris the intern. All right. And we have the amazing, illustrious Krebs with us this evening, sitting in. Hello, internet. Because Firebird is not. I, I, I don't think you're, you're, I don't think you're on. He, he is on. He's, he's just on? very quiet. Oh, okay. Everyone can hear him normally. Oh, just us? Yeah. Just, it's not oh, coming through our, our headphones. Hear. Just because of the weird channeling of authority and power. Ah, aha. Channeling uh-huh. of authority. Yes. Uh. He has, he has, Krebs has so much power coming from his voice, we have to tone <laughs> him down. Otherwise, you'd be like hearing the voice of God. I just figured you didn't want to hear anything I had to say. No. No, wrong. yeah, we do. We do. I, love totally you guys. I don't know. We might even want to take the gum drop off, so that y- yeah, yeah, so that you're you even louder. The best sound ever. Shroomp. <laughs> there we go. And now talking to it. Hey everyone. How you hey, doing? that's much better. better. All right. Yeah. All right. So uh, we have a great show this evening. We're going to have uh, author Carrie Vaughn on the show here shortly, talking about her new book, Dreams of the Golden Age. Um. So this, it'll be good. Yeah, uh, she, to get back in the flow of things. Yeah, At least she, for me. Yeah, she's really well known for her urban fantasy uh, stories, which is um, the Kitty Norville series. So, what? What? Norville. Oh, okay. They're, they're talking off air, but it's it's confusing and confuddling me because I'm talking and hearing and. There's so much noise here. That's because we're trying to Why? Know, not have him go through the same experience I did. Yes. Why is there so much noise? Because we are at the amazing. 
Epic Puzzles and Games, located in West Valley City, Utah. And they're having a pro Magic the Gathering qualifier event. Yeah, so they got, it is a big thing right now. Big, yeah. 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 The, pre, the, the top people that win this thing can be going on to the, the championship. To the nationals. Yeah. I know, I'm going to yeah. make it. So Wait, it's pretty much like, this, this is like <laughs> the game that was played last weekend. Except for who, the, the people winning and going on is like the Seattle Seahawks and the Broncos. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you that can kind of relate to football. Yeah. Let and those said, of you that can't. I did can't. not want the Seattle Seahawks to make it. Yeah, well, I was very happy to see that my Seahawks made it. Yay! Suck it, San Francisco. If you didn't Suck. say that, for those of you that can relate to football, I wouldn't have even known that was a fo- those were football teams. Really? Oh, yeah. That's how much I follow football. And I played football. I never watched it, though. Wow. Because I hate I don't even follow sports. football, and I know that. I just don't watch sports. I hate watching sports. It's boring. But, you know, other people can like it. Okay. Yeah. I, was only, I only watched the show, uh, I only watched that game for the last two minutes, and that was just to see That's the That's all you really need to watch. That was just to see the Seahawks win it. Yeah. yeah. And the way they won it, they, they earned the win. Okay. Yeah, they were, about, they were down all the way up until Yeah, the they were down the all the way third. up until the fourth quarter, and uh, yeah. so, yeah, sports with Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> now, Who knew? Now I'm really curious, what game is this? Um, it is the Super Spectacular Commercial Bowl. Oh. Where you just sit and watch commercials. I miss the commercials? Yeah. And then there's like a side oh. of football. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the big yeah. game. And then there's like a halftime show halfway yeah. between the game and the commercial. Which that usually halftime. isn't that good. Which isn't that good. No. And randomly sometimes there's wardrobe I, malfunctions. I totally missed the commercials. Ah, No, well, th- this is still coming up. It, oh, okay. It's not quite here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're, you're still in See, I have no idea what goes on in the yeah. world. So you can watch Darth Vader kids, you know, do weird things with cars and stuff like that. I, I still like that commercial. Yeah, and the Jamaican one. Yeah, I miss I miss the the frogs. You know, I'm not I'm not a, a an alcohol drinker, but I miss the Bud Light frog or the Budweiser frogs. Uh, yeah. Because they always did crazy things. Like there was one where you know they were they were on a speedboat. Uh, yeah. And next thing we know, we're going to see one of those commercials just because somebody was listening to our radio. That would be awesome. And we'd be like, that's because of us I'm sorry, people. magical things happen with this show. We had an <laughs> author on. He talked about some, we asked him some random question. And he talked about, you know, this book. He's like, whoa, what if you did zombies? And now he's really well known for his zombie book because. And he made oogles he ma- and oogles of money. He did. And now that's the only thing he seems to be known for is his zombie book. Yeah, he's the zombie guy. Yeah, he's the zombie guy. Forget that he you know, created a whole universe. A whole of, dark epic fantasy. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's now branching out to multiple authors. Yeah. He's the zombie guy. Yeah. yeah. Go zombie guy. Yep. <laughs> go zombie. Because once you go zombie, you never go back, apparently. Apparently not. Yeah. Oh. No. That's what that means. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I have the thing as there's no cure for zombieism. No. no. Well, no, there is. Except for a shot to the head. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Double tap. Or you fall in love as a zombie. I've watched Warm Bodies. I know how it Dude, works. I'm sorry. No, no. the zombie <laughs> has to fall in love with you. Yeah, as a zombie, if you fall in love, that's what I said. That is just messed up. I'm sorry. So does, hey, messed up. Hey, zombies are entitled to fall in love, too. What are you? That's like sparkling vampires. It's a no-go. <laughs> no, actually, I think I'm going to side with Chris on this one because I love sushi. See? And I eat it every chance I get. Okay. I think that's how zombies feel about us. They love us. They fall in love with exactly how we taste, the texture, the experience. That See? 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 And we are kind of like sushi. We're like squishy and soft and, and we're crunchy. Not cooked. 
No, it was spicy. Yeah, it it, it, it tasted layered. You know, and I almost in something hot where tempura dipped. I almost better, want <laughs> an you know an article to be posted on our our website, kind of a blog post. How how zombies relate to us as sushi. <laughs> Or there relate is, us as sushi. Yeah. There is room for an anthropological thesis there is. here. There is. There's an entire thesis. We could go on forever on that one. Somebody writes their dissertation on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they get a master's degree because of it. <laughs> if you can have university-level classes on the meaning and theology of the Great Lebowski, or the Big Lebowski, excuse me, the Big Lebowski, you can get a master's degree using zombies. Yeah. Well, Why not? <laughs> Uh, you know, Big Lebowski has returned. It's now an 8-bit video game. <clears throat> nice. Holy crap. Yeah. So, uh, I'll be posting that tomorrow on our, on, on our Facebook page. Tell me achievements. Oh, yes, it does. Dude-based yeah. achievements. I would like so one what, called Until It Goes Click. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So we did not find a, a split. Nope. Uh, oh. This is going to be... Very interesting. I'm, I'm finding it, I'm finding it hard to get my uh, my emotional spectrum back in in, yeah. in whack here. Yeah. You know what? I've been riding the I'm gonna take one for the team because I'm willing to. How are you going to take one for the team? I'm gonna. He's going to go deaf so that I can hear. I'm going to get it so that everybody can hear what's going on. Oh. So. So we're going to activate the speakers. Speakers, activate the speakers of doom. That's what we gotta no, call I think, I, No? Do we need to turn them up a little bit? Maybe. There we go. Yeah, okay. I now I can it. hear what I'm saying. Now it's everywhere. Does this not cause an echo or any sort of feedback? Amazingly enough, as long as they're pointing that way, no. Yeah, they're. Yeah, don't point them at your microphone. Yes. Yeah. Or I your microphone at them. Surprisingly enough. Oh. I will do everything. It's weird. I, I don't know. I can't. I can't explain it, but it doesn't happen. So. No, well, maybe, yeah. I could explain it, but I don't think we really want to go into all the logarithm or the. Uh, uh, equations that explain how the sound reverberating off of different surfaces. We've left him in the cave way too long. <laughs> we need to find a box. No, like I, like no I, more caves. Like I said, I don't waste my time watching sports. <laughs> I waste it playing video games that teach me sound Sound physics. manipulation and physics. <laughs> there we go. All right. So, as we said, we're going to have author Carrie Vaughn on the show this evening talking about her new book, Dreams of the Golden Age. Uh, let's get her on the line here. Um, I should probably pull a couple things up real quickly first. Is she already on? Or we... No, she's not yet. Okay. Um, she's. I can. Yeah, I just have to click them. Oh, click the little button. Clicky, oh, clicky. Yeah. The intern's mic is the loudest of the five at the table. Actually, no, actually, no it's because I talk so loud anyway, and then I talk yeah. right into the microphone. And there yeah, he's gone! <laughs> They just killed me. He's back. <laughs> See, this is a great thing. You got knobs and doodads, and you can just make him disappear. Poof. But only He's temporarily. Gone. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, you can't make me die forever. No. Well, we don't no, want you to die forever. No, no, no. That would no, be no. bad. All right. It's totally go. different than zombies. Shooting me in the head won't work either. <laughs> Your head is like invincible. <laughs> we here at Dungeon Crawlers Radio do not condone you attempting to shoot Chris in the head. Please don't. See if yeah, he please survives. Don't. <laughs> please don't. We already Unless have... you're playing Shoot Your Friends by... Uh, How the, you know, I have talked to, to Craig. You are only allowed one shield at a time. So ah. uh, my kids 
They're cheaters. Are cheaters. Suck it. They're dirty, filthy cheaters. Yes. So are you, though, because uh, you did that to me. Well, that's because that's what I thought the rules were. You had but they no have idea made, what they have made a revision, and that's no longer the rules. So you so can only realize have... that somebody gets way too many shields. Does yeah. it also say in the rules to make sure that other people that are playing know the rules so they don't die? Actually, it says in the rules, if you don't read this rule book, it's your own fault. <laughs> <laughs> For getting shot. All right. Ooh, that was weird. No wonder okay. you play it the way you do. It is, <laughs> it is dialing now. Let's see here. I think we've connected. Hello. Vaughn. Hello. How ah. are you? I'm good. Can you hear me? We can. Thanks Very for coming on the show so. tonight. Excellent. I'm just setting up a new computer, so I was uncertain as to whether this would all work or not, but it sounds like it's going fine. Yep. So far, yeah, so good. So, so far, so good. So we're just adjusting our... Uh, we're, we're adjusting our, volumes our, on this side. speakers out here. Hey, and I'm also not the only one getting to getting used to a new computer. Yep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> new uh, computers are always a good thing. They are, other than the new operating systems. I can't stand Windows 8. It's yeah, crazy. I, I'm doing okay with it, but the problem I'm having is all of the old hardware that doesn't talk to the new operating system. Yeah, yeah. that's always the best. <laughs> you gotta wait a few weeks, <laughs> yeah, or a few months, Depends or find a company. hacker that'll actually help you out. Yes, <laughs> that's okay, what see, I do. I I know a hacker, but he he's not willing to help. No, it's because uh, all you want is coffee. Hey, <laughs> I, I like more than just coffee. Nice. All right. So first time, uh, first time on the show, Carrie. Um, so can you tell us a little about? a little bit about your new book, Dreams of the Golden Age. Uh, certainly. Uh, Dreams of the Golden Age is the sequel to uh, After the Golden Age that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, and both books are um, primarily about the West family of Commerce City. Uh, Celia West is the main character of the first book. And she is the daughter of the city's greatest superheroes. Um, she has no powers of her own. She would like to get away from the superhero world if she can. She became an accountant, um, which, according to her father, is even worse than not having any powers. Uh, the second book, is it takes place about 20 years later, and she's grown up. She's taken over the family company, and she has two daughters of her own now. And... Um, and in the second book, so in Dreams of the Golden Age, Celia and her daughter Anna are the two main characters. And Anna has superpowers and is trying to keep it secret. Um, and she's gotten her friends together, and they are trying to form a superhero team. And uh, that's the adventure of the book. So what? So why superheroes then? What 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 stands out about being a superhero, or I guess in in the in the situation, not a superhero? Well, I'm. One of those people who just loves superheroes, um, I get asked a lot you know, if I love comic books, if that's how I came by it. And, and oddly enough, I, I, I'm more of a fan of superheroes in general than comic books specifically. And I think that's because I grew up in the late 70s and the early 80s, and my favorite TV shows were Wonder Woman and The Incredible Hulk and The Bionic Woman and The Six Million Dollar Man, um, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, uh, the greatest American hero, and there were so many great superhero TV shows, and that's kind of it imprinted on my brain. Um, I also uh, started reading the Wild Card series, which is a, a series of uh, superhero novels, um, anthologies, uh, edited by George R. R. Martin, um, and that's been going for about 20 years, and I'm a big fan of those as well. Uh, so I just like superheroes. I, I think it's a great metaphor. It's a great um, trope to play with. 
you know, I, I sort of think that every author has a superhero story in them as well as a vampire story. Um, and this is my take on it. And I wanted to have a main character who didn't have powers because I think she has a really unique take on it. Uh, there's another trope I wanted to play with. You know, lots of, I think, um, other people have done the story of the, the child of superheroes who doesn't have powers. And I think in almost every case, uh, the child gets powers by the end of the story. The story is them somehow um, growing into superpowers or getting the superpowers that they always wanted. And that has always seemed to me to be kind of a cheat. Um, it, it's a cop-out because then nobody kind of has to deal with that, that eternal problem of uh, – you know, the, the child who doesn't live up to their parents' expectations or who isn't the, the child that the parents wanted and, and how do you deal with that frustration. So in, in After the Golden Age, Celia doesn't get superpowers. Um, she has to learn to live with it and her parents have to learn to live with it and I wanted to see how that played out. That's a... What happened? Yeah, make, sure, <laughs> make sure you're <laughs> I, I'm are, on. Are the, are the, Hello? Hello? Oh, there we go. Um, okay. All right. No, I mean, just, they're saying those are some really great kind of superhero uh, shows that you have kind of in that background. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. Um, and I love the fact that you've decided to go with, yeah, my, my character's not getting superpowers. Because you're right, that generally is the theme is, oh, they don't have superpowers, they fall into something, or something happens, and suddenly they find out they have superpowers. And, uh, you see that theme kind of in, like, the movie Sky High. That's exactly uh, yeah. what I'm thinking of, yeah. Well, they're kind of mocking it, though. But yeah, movie. I mean, they were a little bit. But <laughs> I, I like the fact that you, you went with that route of not giving her powers, and then she's having to deal with down the road. You know, you have the her daughter that's running into the problem. Oh, I have powers, but my mom doesn't like them, and uh, I have to hide now. Yeah, and and plus it was just... It was so much fun writing a book where the main character has problems getting along with her parents and then writing a sequel where she herself has children and, and she herself is now the parent. And the, the tables are turned. Um, and what is it that parents say the best revenge is when your children grow up and have children of their own? Yeah. <laughs> and they're just like you. Yeah. Or, or even worse, you know, yeah. there's yeah. nothing like you and you have no way of, of dealing with them at all. Or yeah. they're just like your parents and you're like, oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, how how was it then uh, building the family structure uh, regarding the inclusion and exclusion uh, of superpowers, and how did you derive um, uh, the certain experiences? Did you draw from your own family, or is this a, a new thing for you? You know, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, when I was writing the book, I would have said that I was just making it all up, and I didn't draw anything from my own uh, my own experience, but um, it took someone else pointing out to me that a big part of my background, I mention it in my biography, it's, it's something I talk about a lot, is I'm a military brat. Um, my dad was, had a 20-year Air Force career. He's a Vietnam vet, and I grew up in the military. Um, you know, I grew up kind of surrounded by the guys in uniforms. Um, you know, my dad, he was a B-52 pilot, which is kind of a, a, a big, impressive job. That is a big um, deal. Yeah, and and so I, I like to say my subconscious is smarter than I am. Um, so that experience of, of, you know, it was I, I never felt stress from it. It wasn't something that that was kind of traumatic, um, you know, as a child. But at the same time, I definitely have something there uh, about the experience of having a larger than life um, heroic, uh, you know, father figure in my life. Um, uh, you know, who I wanted to impress, you know, I, I wanted him to be proud of me. 
And, you know, what did I do? I, I became an English major, you know. I, I didn't go into the military. I didn't do anything uh, that I perceived as big and impressive. Um, you know, and my dad's great. He was always really supportive. So it wasn't like it was a source of conflict. But there was definitely something there about, you know, how how do you live up um, to that kind of, you know, heroic figure in your life? And, you know, sometimes the answer is you don't. You just have to take your own path and do something else. Nice. Yeah, so then um... – so then regarding your the, the new character Anna then how I mean how did you come up with a character that's sort of the offspring of another uh, a previous main character how did you derive this new personality You know it, it kind of grew organically this all kind of grew organically um you know I I wish I were an outliner I wish I could sit down and plot out an entire novel and figure out um you know, before I start writing everything that works. But sometimes it really is, I'm, I just have to figure it out as I go along, you know, and I have a basic idea of what I want. But especially, you know, I, I decided I wanted her to have superpowers because uh, of the conflict that would create with Celia. Uh, but then the question always becomes, well, what kind of superpower? What can she do? Um, and, you know, when you're writing superhero stories, I, I think that's, that's becoming the biggest challenge is trying to come up with a superpower that isn't too derivative of, of the famous superpowers that are already out there, you know, in the comic books and the movies and that kind of thing. Um, but yet having it be interesting and believable. And, you know, in the story, Anna's father is a telepath. He's, he's the, uh, the telepath of the big superhero team um, that her parents belong to um, in the first book. And, and she ends up marrying him and, and, um, uh, or, you know, being his partner, and they have uh, children together, and and so I that obviously um, you know introduced the idea of mental powers that I could give her some kind of mental power, um, but that has a whole uh, set of challenges as well. So I, I didn't want her to be a telepath because that gets very complicated in terms of storytelling. Um, so she has a power; she she can locate people. She knows where people are. Um, I think I I called it psycholocation in the book. Um, which, you know, at first glance, it doesn't seem like a very useful superpower. It seems like a, a very annoying superpower, actually. Um, but the, the trick then is to work it into the plot. You know, what, what are some creative ways uh, to use that? And I found, um, you know, sometimes it's not the power. It's how creatively can you use it? How interesting can you make it? How can you uh, use it for the story in a way that's surprising and different and that people aren't expecting writing the story organically as opposed to outlining the story. I don't know if we can hear you. Yeah, you're fading out there. I don't know what's going on. You, sir, are the weakest link. <laughs> there, now try it. Now try it. Oh, there we go. There we go. Okay? Yeah. Okay. So you, you talked about writing the story organically. And was there a point where as the story came together, you found yourself surprised? Oh, I'm always surprised when it comes together, you know, which sounds kind of awful, but there's always a point when I'm writing the manuscript where I've got too many balls in the air and I have no idea how it's all going to come together. Um, but like I said, my subconscious is smarter than I am. And, and usually what happens is, is I've dropped enough threads in there that when I start tying them to each other, um, it all ends up working out. And then I can go back from the beginning and make it look like I planned it that way all along. Um, which is great. Revision is, is a great tool that way. Um, but yeah, there's that moment where it comes together and sometimes I'll actually skip ahead and write the ending um, and then go back and fill in the spaces. Um, 
you know, and just make sure that I've put everything in, put in all the clues and put in all the pieces so that when they're all, they're all on the game board in the right places, um, you know, when that big moment arrives. I, I feel so good now <laughs> because I, I, I've been struggling to write and everyone is always like, got to do your outline, got to do your outline. Oh, and yeah. I hate doing outlines. I, 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 would, I go to sit down to do the outline and it, it seems like I lose interest in writing the story. Yeah, trying to get the, a lot of people. Trying to get the outline done. You so. start writing the outline, it just turns into chapter one. Yeah. That's right. my problem. Yeah, and so I'm just, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear someone else saying, I hate doing outlines, and I just let the story come out. So, um, so well, I great. actually like outlines. Um, oh. I wish I could outline better. Um, the metaphor I've used is, you know, I try really hard to outline, but there's always a point in the outline where basically I've written down then a miracle occurs mm-hmm. and I never bother figuring out what the miracle is. And so then I start writing and I hit that part and I have no idea. Um, so my outlines are kind of like a map. You know, when you go to visit yeah. a strange city, you have a map, you know, the couple of places that you want to visit, you sort of have an idea of what you're going to see, but until you start walking, you don't know uh, what the streets look like. You yeah. don't know who you're going to run into. Um, and so that's how it ends up working out for me is I just, I, I never know until I'm in the middle of it um, how it's going to all come together. So, okay. So in this writing, um, since your main character is powerless, has there ever, ever been a time where you were just kind of, kind of tempted to give her something a little bit because you put her in a little bit too hard of a situation that yeah, you know, maybe maybe if she could do this, <laughs> eh, perhaps I could make it make sense. Oh no, I've not been tempted at all because that oh. would that would so much change who she is. It would change the character, and and because that's part of her character is she looks for the tools that she has. And um, you know, when the first book came out, I, I joked around. I told people that she saves the world with accounting um, because that's who she is, and that's who her to- <laughs> what her tools are. Um, you know, and, you know, like I said, with superpowers, sometimes, um, you know, the fun part is figuring out what they can do with the tools at hand. And so she really is, she's someone who can track down files. Um, you know, she, she's very good at, at, you know, adding up columns of numbers and seeing where things don't fit. So she really does solve the mystery using the tools that she has. And, and, you know, the fun part of the book was setting up a mystery where, it had to be solved with those tools. You know, superpowers weren't going to solve the day. It needed somebody who, who had that insight mm-hmm. um, to get in and figure that out. And that was the fun part of, of After the Golden Age was, was yeah, you know, she, accounting. Accounting is useful. <laughs> <laughs> so that's her, that's her uh, superpower. She's really good at math. So for exactly. all of you out there that want to be accountants, hey, look, you can still save the day. Yeah. You know, I was actually, if I were to make a superhero with a superpower, it would be a completely useless superpower. Like, they can memorize like the, the lyrics <laughs> to every song they hear just by listening to it once. You know, I, I know somebody who actually has that power, and it's not as useful as you would think. At, at, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, I've got a superpower. I can it, memorize you, you, songs. You, 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 no, no, karaoke champion. Karaoke bar. Karaoke yep. champion. <laughs> uh, see, there, you, you'd have to write it in a way that they have to do a karaoke, like a blind karaoke contest. They yep. have to win that to... The fate of the world yeah. is on the, the, down the, to a karaoke the, the contest. Of the world. I would totally read that. 
I, I'd read it if it was a novella, not actually like <laughs> a real story. <laughs> Uh, so I'm kind of curious, though, is how did you come up with the descriptions for the previous generation of superheroes, and I guess the current generation of your your, of your new superheroes? How did you come up with the visual elements? How did you decide what their costumes were going to look like, and what their um, and, and what the like the color schemes were going to be? Did you do, uh, how did you get inspired for that? I I just went really traditional. Um, you know, part of what I'm doing with these books is kind of uh, you know, commenting on the superhero tropes and kind of winking and nudging. So they they all they wear the skin tight. Um, you know, the the colors have to do with their powers. You know, the person with the the water and the storm powers has a aqua colored outfit. You know, the the one who can launch flames from her hands has a black suit with you know orange flame markings on it, and she has red hair, of course. Um, so I, I really went traditional uh, because I wanted it to look like a traditional superhero world so that I can then have my main character, you know, turn her nose up at it, um, <laughs> you know, and, and want want to get away from it. Um, and once again, I probably didn't do as much planning as I should. I hope it looks like I did a lot of planning, but I, I mostly, um, you know, thought up the powers I wanted for the plot, um, thought up names, Googled them to make sure they weren't too obvious and that someone hadn't used them before, um, which is another problem when you're writing superheroes is at this point, I think just about everything has been used before. Um, the superhero team uh, in the first book is called the Olympiad, um, you know, because that just sounded heroic and larger than life. Um, and in the second one, I don't think they, by the end of the book, they had come up with, I, I have to remember now, um, there's one group, there's three of them, so they call themselves the Trinity. Um, so, you know, I didn't go out of my way to try to be super creative because I wanted it to sound like something that could have been in a comic book since the 60s mm-hmm. and, and just have that traditional um, feel to it. So then, uh, okay. It, okay. Oh, I guess it is, it's time to pay the bills, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. <gasps> it is 30 minutes past the hour. We're live at Epic, uh, Epic Puzzles and Games. I was about to say the old... The, the yeah, old go author, ahead. Epic Puzzles and Games in West Valley City, Utah. We're talking with uh, author Carrie Vaughn. She's telling us about the dream, her new book, Dreams of the Golden Age. So if you want to call in, you can call in right now at 626-226-1475. Or, as always, you can send us an email at info at dungeoncrawlersradio.com. Uh, hit us up on Twitter or uh, which is uh, DCR Show or DCR <laughs> underscore Show, or you can always uh, check us out on Facebook, which is Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Yeah, that's us. That is us. Anything else? Yeah, you got it all. Word. Ooh, what about Audible? Audible. Chris, what do Audible now or yeah. Amazon? One of the two. Hurry, <laughs> pay the bills. Come on. Uh, say it like you mean it. Say it like you mean it, drama. Get in the character. Should you uh, be happen to want to curl up to a nice book, but you are traveling a lot, you should go and check out audible.com. It'll help you be able to get it through those books. So that way you can get a chance to have a life and read your books too. Audible.com, a good way to get through the day. That's awesome. But And also you can go through our link on our website. There you go. Yeah. And get a free audiobook. Yep. There you yeah. go. Free stuff. <laughs> and if if I'm looking right here, I think uh, we have Carrie's books here. It has some audible or some audiobooks here too as well. Yeah. Is this? Yeah. Are, is Dreams of the Golden Age going to be available in um, in audiobook? I 
don't know. I don't have uh, plans to just yet. Uh, no, this one isn't yet. But my urban fantasy series are all on yeah. uh, Audible. The Kitty Norville. The Kitty books, yeah. yeah. Nice. So yeah, if, check this out. Check that those books out. You can get a free copy. Yeah. Free stuff. I love giving. I totally stuff. stumbled over all that. <laughs> wow. It's horrible. All right, so I'm I'm really curious about this because this one sort of always gets me about superheroes and superhero stories. Is I mean, how do you come up with the location of Commerce City? Like, what was I mean? Why Commerce City? I guess where begin there. Oh, I I cheated. Um, so I I live in Colorado, and there is a a suburb of Denver called Commerce City. Um, it's kind of this industrial section. Uh, it's where the oil refineries are. Um, so you drive on the freeway, and there's the signs for Commerce City. And every time I saw it, I thought that would be a great name for a superhero city. Um, so I used it. And so then, um, and so did you build? Did, and you, I mean, did, was there a particular city you had in mind? Like, if if, if a reader was going to start trying to imagine Commerce City, how would we? What would be the best way to describe that? Um, it, it's once again, it's kind of the typical superhero, what you see in the comic books. Um, it looks more like a coastal city. So definitely kind of your metropolis, your New York or San Francisco. It's got a harbor. Um, there, there's a really, that's a big part of the story in the first book. It's got skyscrapers um, mm-hmm. because you need skyscrapers if you're going to have superheroes. The people who fly need someplace where they can land and, and survey their surroundings. Um, I actually, Colorado readers get really confused because they start reading the book and it's Commerce City and they talk about the harbor and all of this. And they're like, but this is Colorado. There's no harbor. There's no water. <laughs> um, but it's because I completely made it up. And um, so that's what I would imagine is just think of your, your typical kind of urban coastal setting. Um, you know, it's got the skyscrapers, it's got the city park, it's got the slums where superheroes can go and fight crime. Um, you know, it's it's got whatever I need uh, to make the, the story work. So what, what other sorts of things can we start expecting to see, like a, um, branching out from this? I mean, is there, I mean, I presume that there's going to be another book along coming along the way. Yeah, I don't know. I've been doing these one at a time. Um, I've got the idea for the sequel, but I haven't written it yet. Um, so, yeah, it, I think we we so expect uh, books to come in series now that, that, yeah, there's the expectation that there's going to be another one. But I I don't know yet um, if that's a sure thing or not. I, I really have kind of been um, writing these as I have the time. I've got my other series that, that I spend most of my time on, but in the spaces I, I like to do other things, and this is the thing that kind of creeped up. Um, so with my idea for the sequel is I do want to jump forward in time again. Um, you know, As Dreams of the Golden Age ends, the, the kids are still teenagers and, and kind of have a much better idea of what they want to do with themselves. And so, of course, in the book after that, I would want to see them you know, better established and see... Um, know the consequences of, of the things that happen in this book and how that plays out. So then do you see, do you see the, this, uh, this new setting, basically this entire world that you've built then, um, let's say you don't get another book. I mean, do you see this branching out into any other sort of mediums like a, like a, like a new game or perhaps even a movie? I don't know. I, well, well, it's one of those things we'll have to see play out. I think it would make a great movie. Um, you know, whether or not, 
that would ever actually happen, <laughs> you know, especially, you know, superheroes are so big in the movies right now, but, um, you know, the Marvel uh, movies seem to, to have a monopoly on, on, um, on everything. They're doing it so right. I would hate to compete with that um, at the same time. So, so I don't know. We'll, we'll just have to see, you know, right now I'm having a really good time um, writing the novels and, and it'll just kind of depend on, uh, you know, whether the opportunities present themselves. Mm-hmm. So then speaking of uh, writing the novels, and I'm, I'm, we're, we're kind of curious here then. Uh, can you take us through like a usual day of, of writing for Carrie Vaughn? Uh, it, it's usually not as productive as I wish it would be. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> my, my thing. I, I'm pretty prolific, but there's always about 10 projects I, I want to work on that, that aren't getting done. Um, so I, I write full time. Um, I've been writing full time for about seven or eight years now. Um, which is great. So I get up, I have a dog, and, and she makes sure I get out of bed every morning. Um, I usually spend a couple hours in the morning taking care of business stuff, uh, you know, answering emails and updating the websites and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and then I try to spend a, a few hours in the afternoon writing. I try to get all of my writing done by dinner time um, because that's when all of my friends get off work. And if I want to have any kind of social life at all, it has to be in the evenings, uh, you know, when when everybody else is off. Um, I go by word count. I try to do a thousand words a day, um, you know, rather than a, a specific amount of time um, that I'm writing. So yeah, if I hit that word count, then I'm great. And I, I'll usually get a little bit more and sometimes I get a little bit less, but that's probably a good average. Is the thousand marks. So how, how does that sort of look at the end of the day when you're, when you're looking back at a thousand words, is that, I mean, effectively almost a chapter for you or is there, a little bit, little bit shy on that. A little bit shy of that. You know, I don't know. I I have a friend who's very structured. He writes very clear outlines. Um, he knows exactly how many words that each chapter is going to be, and he's got it all planned out. I don't put in chapter breaks until I'm practically done with the whole thing. Um, so I do kind of sit down and write it all in in a big spew, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Um, I jump around. Um, you know, I, I also write a lot of short stories. Um, so when I get stuck on a novel, I will open up a new file and, and work on short stories or work on some of my other projects. Um, so I bounce around a lot. If I'm stuck, I will skip that scene and skip ahead. Um, because sometimes if I'm stuck, it means I didn't need to write that scene after all. Um, so it, it feels really scattered. Um, you know, it feels like I, I definitely can't see the forest or the trees when I'm in the middle of it. And that's why revision is a big part of my process. When I do finish kind of that initial rough draft phase, I definitely go back uh, two or three times um, to read it over and to fix it, to put in the chapter breaks, to make sure the pacing works. And that just works really well for me because I often don't know what all the pieces are until I've written that first draft. And then once I know, and once I see the shape of the thing, I can go back and, and, make it all look pretty, um, you know, make it look like I planned it that way, make it look like there was an outline even if there wasn't. So you don't necessarily wait for the uh, wait for the editor to do that for you? Well, there, there's always a round with the editor as well, um, but I do several rounds myself just because I know what's broken. You know, after the rough draft, I know what I missed. I know that there's a bunch of things that I didn't um, get to fit in there. Um and and so I need to do that before the editor even sees it. I don't want to waste the editor's time um, with all of these things that I already know are wrong with it. Um, so I'll get it to the point where I 
can't stand it anymore. And that's when I send it to the editor. Um, and usually the, the editor will have another really good rounds of suggestions for things that I just missed um, because I was too close to it and I couldn't, couldn't see it for what it was anymore. Um, and then I'll go through another round of revisions after that. So it, it's a really big part. It takes up a lot of, a lot of time and effort, but I think the, the finished product is much better because of it. Nice. So oh, go ahead. Uh, I was actually curious. I was going through your wiki and, Looking at all of your works, you have you have over you have about a dozen Kitty Norval books. Mm-hmm. You have a couple of other book series. You have over sixty short stories that have been published. You've been nominated for awards. Of all those things that you have done, which story is your gem? Which one is the one that is your favorite that you are most bonded to? Oh, that's a tough question. It's that's the children question. Um, I have two answers. Um, the, the first one I'm going to say, of course, is, is Amaryllis. Uh, it's a story that was published on Lightspeed Magazine a couple years ago. And, and I say that one just because that's the one that got nominated for the Hugo. That's the one that got so much attention. You know, for all that I had done, that probably um, right out of the gate got more attention and, and a lot of critical attention, which I had never uh, seen before. And so it just kind of represented... Um, you know, an improvement in my writing. I'm always trying to get better, and that that represented that. Hey, I I had definitely um, done something different, or done something. Um, you know, learned something writing that story that really made an impact. Um, and I've had a couple other stories like that where I where I wrote them, and I definitely felt like they they represented a you know a increase in skill level, a plateau in skill level. There's one that came out last year on Tor.com called The Best We Can. Um, that I've also gotten a, a lot of response on, um, a lot of comments. You know, when you're at uh, the World Science Fiction Convention and somebody stops you in the elevator and says, I really like that story, um, you know that means something. And, um, you know, weirdly enough, it's those stories that tend to mean the most, the ones that, that have impact on other people. Because, you know, once I've written it and put it out there and published it, I I lose all objectivity. I don't know anymore what's a good story and what's not. So it, it's it's kind of nice to get that kind of feedback. And of everything, I've, I, at least on, on the short story side of it, um, the, those are the two that have gotten the most attention. Um, and as far as novels, I'm proud of them all. <laughs> you know, I know that sounds cliche, but um, the, I've had kind of a different mission with all of them. And in most cases, I, I succeeded. I did what I set out to do. And I'm just so pleased that that people have responded and that people out there have, have read the books and enjoy the books. And, and, um, and I would like to keep doing it. And that's that's the goal right now. Well, you know, just to put into perspective, especially for the young aspiring writers out there, Amaryllis, which is the, the story you mentioned first, that was 16 years into you writing published short stories. 16 years of effort to get to that point. Yep. Yep. Thanks for hanging in there, because that's phenomenal. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the poster child for persistence. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So, I mean, what, you know, for someone that has never read your books before, that's just kind of browsing through their local Barnes and Noble or maybe their library and sees your book on the shelf, what makes your book kind of stand out more than any others and why should they pick that up? Oh, that's the job interview question. I know, I know. (laughs) What makes you more qualified? Well, I I think the things that that make me stand out is my main characters um, are not, uh, 
are not typical, um, you know, for lack of a better word, I'm trying to find a good way to put it, um, that they're, I try to make them normal people in extraordinary circumstances, um, you know, so they're not kind of the, the ultra-violent, gun-toting, adventure, um, you know, kick-ass characters that you typically see. Uh, they're still strong characters, and, you know, that's one thing that's kind of my mission is, is you know, the quote-unquote strong woman character. Um, but I try to make them strong by making them real um, and making them believable. And I, I try to write more upbeat stories. Um, you know, bad things happen to my characters, bad things happen in my books, but I try to have um, more of a positive outlook, um, you know, that there are good people in the world doing good things. Um, you know, I try to inject some humor. Um, you know, I, I want people to kind of feel good after reading my books rather than, you know, wanting to slit their wrists. Um, so... <laughs> So those are the kinds of things that I'm working on, and, and those are the kinds of things that are important to me. And so, do you think that attitude, um, or I guess that, um, I guess that mentality, sets your works apart from maybe some of the more gritty, realistic uh, comic book fare that's kind of out there these days? Because I mean, Batman's, I, I mean, kind of, kind of got that market cornered as far as like the dark, grim attitude and the Punisher's right behind him. Do you think your yeah. book would stand as a good counter? I see. I'm, I'm going to quote a, a friend of mine, Daniel Abraham, who, who I talk to a lot about these kinds of things, that the conflation of gritty and realistic has perhaps not served comic books and superheroes. Well, um, you know, in the late eighties and early nineties, when you had the dark Knight and you had Watchmen and you had all of these, you know, quote unquote, gritty, realistic, comics come down the pipe, um, you know, ones, and they were realistic because they tried to bring a kind of psychological depth to these characters. You know, what would it really be like to have somebody who, who dresses up in spandex and, and goes out and tries to fight crime? Um, but I would propose that, that gritty is a choice and that optimism can be just as realistic. Um, and, and I mentioned Daniel Abraham, and he likes to point out that when gritty and, and you know, this gritty kind of grimdark um, you know, aesthetic becomes normal, then trying to be optimistic and, and earnest uh, then becomes punk. That then becomes the kind of rebellious fringe. And I, I talk a lot about this. Um, you know, I'll put forward as an example Captain America, the movie, uh, mm -hmm. which did so well, and it was so wonderful. Um, you know, and it was so I, – I remember people saying that there was no possible way a Captain America movie could work because, you know, earnest. People just don't <laughs> – by earnest like that yeah, anymore. Boy, you know, were how, we wrong. How did they sell this entirely do-gooder character? And the answer is they, they sold him just fine. That was a fantastic movie, and it was so refreshing in a way. Um, you know, I think it's interesting they had to go to World War II to find that kind of character and do the World War II setting, um, you know, which does kind of have this, this you know, image of being totally heroic um, and earnest and not gritty, even though it was a terrible, terrible war, just... Um, you know, like many of them before. So, so my take on it is, is that I think there's an audience for it. And I think um, some of these Marvel movies that are earnest and funny, as well as being, you know, dark and, and serious, um, that they're not mutually exclusive, that you can have both and that, that the audience is hungry for it. You know, Man of Steel, um, you know, that movie was not a happy movie. And I think it upset a lot of people and it frustrated a lot of people because, uh, you know, the, I think the most common comment I hear about it is that's not Superman. 
you know, that kind of mean and, and destructive character mm. is not the Superman that people wanted to see. And, it, and it's, um, I think people are tired of it. Yeah, I think people are kind of ready for, for Ernest again. Um, well, not only, now, you know? yeah. not only that, it was his first time out of the shoot. So, you know, I think he's got to make good. mistakes. I thought it was pretty yeah. good. It was great. So Ernest without the, without the campy? Yeah. Right. Right, and and I think that's one of the reasons the Avengers movies, um, you know, all of them, the Iron Man movies, Avengers, uh, Thor, um, and Captain America, I think one of the reasons they're all doing so well is because they, they tread that line. They're funny um, and serious and earnest and suspenseful, and they, they've pretty much got it all, and I think that really appeals to people. Well, that actually brings me to my next question, since we're talking about Avengers. On a scale of one to Joss Whedon, how willing are you to put your characters in real peril? Uh, well, how much spoilers do you want? <laughs> I, I'm like uh, I'm like maybe a step below Joss Whedon because I um I'm not shy about putting my characters in peril. Readers of my books will tell you, uh, um, you know, it's very gratifying when I read reviews or I read readers' comments and they're scared of who's going to die next. Um, nice. But, <laughs> you know, it, you only have to kill somebody once and then you, you will scare people forever when they read your books. You know, I, I killed the first kitty book. I killed one of the main characters. And ever since then, people just assume that I will kill characters. And that's great. Um, you, should keep can I com- hmm? you should keep them fearful. Exactly. And, and if I can complain about Joss Whedon for a minute. Um, Go ahead. You know, that, that's one of the things that, that he, I think he has abused his power to kill characters. Um, you know, with Avengers as a case in point, when you can predict that a character will die by being impaled because he does it every single time. Um, and he does it, you know, it, you, each individual instance is very moving and very suspenseful and very terrifying and, and, and important for the plot. But when you line them all up together, you realize he is co- pretty much constantly impaling characters to advance the plot, um, which makes it a little less impactful. Because I was watching Avengers three, going, two. yeah, somebody's going to get it. Somebody, somebody is going to get impaled. And sure enough, somebody got impaled. And what well, was amusing me. to me is then he turned around and there's Captain Fury standing on the deck going, yes, I'm going to use this character's death to motivate the rest of the characters. And it's like, oh, that's what happens every time. And he finally, like, you know, put, it, put a gold star on it. <laughs> he, he hung a lamp on it and, it just, um, and just put it out there, which I thought was funny. In, in his defense, when you're working with vampires, there's only so many ways to kill them. So impalement sounds like it's legit. Oh, I wasn't talking about the vampires. <laughs> I, I was talking about a couple of other characters. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how it started yeah. with Wash uh, <laughs> killing off Spike that yeah. way. But then Wash, Wash, yeah, impaled. Wash, we all remember Wash. Yeah, everybody remembers well, Wash. Wash Kara, um, you know, impaled by a bullet. Um, Doctor Horrible. Um, yep. Yeah. You know, I think the only thing of his I've seen recently that didn't have somebody get impaled was uh, Much Ado About Nothing. Um, yeah, but that was Shakespeare. That would have been very surprised. Really yeah, that would be, really, be like a really they have one of the girls on the... impaled on yeah. a bike. <laughs> There's a line about Cupid's arrow. That's the closest that he gets. Yeah. <laughs> I think when one of the characters gives their final soliloquy, they should just randomly be impaled immediately. Like just, they get stabbed. They fall off the stage. We eliminate all the characters. That's how the audience knows it's over. <laughs> wow. I like to see that play. 
then Moffat is like, I like that idea. I think I will use it. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I saw I saw an interesting renditioning of uh, Hamlet where, like, at the beginning of the show, they have the the like one of the not only the actors but one of the the volunteers for the for the show for the for the actual theater come up and start talking about oh come to this thing and we're having a we're having a a a, a thing for or a, a a charity event and blah 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 and halfway through her little spiel the actors come up on stage and slit her throat. Oh, wow. see? I, lo- I love that <laughs> kind of thing. It's what interns can look forward to. <laughs> yes. But they can't kill me. No. We've tried. No, we just throw them in caves. Yep. And I claw my way out. Yep. So, uh, we're, we're getting around to the, uh, the end of this. Um, what, is a, what is a suggestion or what is, what is a, a little bit of, you, you've, you've got a lot of experience, you've got a lot of, lot of, lot of words under your belt, one might say. Uh, what is a little bit of uh, um, advice you would give to the young writers of right now? Um, write uh, as much as you can. Write a little bit every day. Um, you know, I like to tell people if you write, you know, don't sit down and, and think about writing a book because it's too big. But if you think about writing a page every day, then in a year you'll have 365 pages, and that's a book. Um, but on top of that, you have to get better. Um, you know, I read something recently that there's the, the 10,000 10, hours of practice that you need. But if you practice doing the same thing over and over again, you're not going to get any better. So you have to push yourself. You have to, um, you know, learn um, from, from what you read. You know, if you read a book that you like, figure out what you like about it and, and try to replicate that. If you don't like a book, figure out what you didn't like and then don't do that. So become a very active kind of viewer and reader and, and consumer of media because all, all, everything that you learn by doing that will help you become a better writer, will teach you how to write. Um, because, yes, it's not just enough to write every day and, and to write book after book after book, a rough draft or, um, you know, failed novel after failed novel. You do have to get better, and, and you have to be getting better all the time. Um, and, you know, the more, the more you do that, the better your chances are um, of actually uh, getting something out in the world that people want to read. Nice. I, I like that. Yeah. Except for I got to disagree with one thing. What? I eat and practice eating every day, and I feel like I'm getting better at it. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, wow. Well, we, have a, we have a kind of a, 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 an expansion yeah. in the shooter world. Uh, with the with the the term practice yeah. make perfect. Yeah. Perfect practice makes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's very yeah. true. I have a friend who says practice makes permanent. Ah, that so is what, more whatever it is you're practicing. Um, you yeah, know, if you're practicing badly, you're just going to become permanent, bad. permanently <laughs> bad. <laughs> nice. All right. So, uh, so where can we find you next, Carrie? Uh, are you going to be visiting any conventions or any book signings? I'm. I actually just wrapped up a book tour for Dreams of the Golden Age. Um, I'm I'm kind of all over the place. Uh, I I do travel quite a bit. Um, if you're in Colorado in the Denver area, I, I'm at a lot of the local conventions. Um, Anomaly Con is Denver's steampunk convention. I think that's my next big thing. I'm going to be at the RT Book Lovers Convention in New Orleans in, I believe, May. Um, will be my next kind of big national convention that I'm going to. Um, I will also be at Worldcon in London in August for um, 
people flying abroad. I'm um, jealous. Oh, London's my favorite city. I'm still looking for an excuse to go. So, <laughs> um, otherwise, I'm I'm I have a blog. Uh, my website is www.carriebond.com, um, and the link to my blog is there. And I I review movies and I rant about Joss Whedon and do all kinds of things uh, there. Um, very so, nice. Yeah, um, and my schedule's on my website. So yeah, I, I get out quite a bit, and I'm I'm always looking to geek out somewhere. Nice. And, and you, apparently you're a hop, skip, and a jump from here. So we're just in Salt Lake. So oh yeah, not too far. So, well, all right. And your books are available everywhere: Amazon, traditional bookstores like Barnes and Noble, uh, audio books uh, for at least the Kitty Norville ones, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so everyone out there, check out these books. You'll it, it just sounds at least these ones uh, just sound amazing. I mean, who doesn't love superheroes? And if you don't, then I'm sorry. You need to find a okay. It's like that baby that doesn't like money. Yeah, it is. It is. It's yeah. just weird. Yeah, not real. So yeah, it has to be staged. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so so check out these books. And you guys have any other last questions? I mean. This has been a great interview. We've, we've enjoyed having you on the show this evening. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. I've enjoyed it as well. All right. Yeah, so, thank you very much. Uh, check out uh, Carrie Vaughn's books. Check out her website at CarrieVaughn.com, right? Or did yep. I just botch that? No, you yep. said it right. Yeah, you got it. All right. I hope we hear from you more and uh, yeah, hear let from us, you again. Let us know when the next book comes out. We'd love to have you back on. Yeah, probably later this year, the next book in the Kitty series will be will be coming out. Nice. Um, I don't have an yeah. exact date yet, but yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah, let yeah, us know. We'd to love it. to have you back on for that. Great. Okay. Well, awesome. thanks again. Thank have much. a wonderful night. Yep. Thank you. Yep. All right, everyone. Good that night. was Carrie Vaughn. Carrie Vaughn. Find Dreams of the Golden Age. Bookstores everywhere. Yes. Now. Now. Superheroes. Accountants. I think she's awesome enough that even though she's obviously against Joss Whedon. <laughs> Maybe we can still be friends. I'd, I'd, I'd play a role-playing game with her. I'd, I'd throw some bones with her. Yeah, yeah. You, you'd probably play Firefly with her. or uh... <laughs> Actually, I was going to talk at some point tonight about Firefly the board game, which is amazing. Yeah, we've yeah. been playing it since August. We came we've been talking about it for a while. Oh, yeah. with it. But now I understand why there's an impaled card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we also have, came back with the role-playing game, too. Which is awesome. Which and is hilarious. Awesome. We should invite you over when we play next. Yeah. I would love to have friends. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so. uh, friends is a bit of a stretch. We're like <laughs> acquaintance. A, a, acquaintance? <laughs> a, occasional, occasional cross paths. That is uh, friends. A little too far. Sorry. Can we not be brothers in arms where the arms are D20s? <laughs> no. Wow. He's remembering that, back to what? our Boba Fett debate. Yeah. What? Well, <laughs> not only that. Oh, well, this is the best part. We're going to Fan X, and we're going to make him hug Jeremy. What bet did yes. you lose? And take a photo of it. I don't remember agreeing to this. Oh, oh no, you, no did. you did. Okay. Can I, I have audio Jeremy? recording of it. Can I, can I pay Jeremy <laughs> to lick Lagoon's face Flagging. during the photo? I'm sure oh, you yes. could. Yeah. I am bringing money just for that. <laughs> Like, I'm glad that we're gonna have it on video. Here, Mr. Bullock, twenty bucks. You wish we were friends now. <laughs> to, you, to you all, it's Boba Fett. To me, Stormtrooper number one sixty-seven. <laughs> He's Stormtrooper number one. <laughs>
All righty. <laughs> We're going to take a moment. We're going to play a couple it's, songs, take a break. Back at the top of the hour. Um, anyone want to run a quick run over Amazon since we did Audible already? Yeah, sure. Go. Right there. So uh, check out... Uh, did you enjoy our interview with Carrie Vaughn? Well, you can pick up any of her books at Amazon.com. Just follow the link on DungeonCrawlersRadio.com and just shop as normal. There's no hidden or extra fees of any kind. And then when you're done doing all your shopping, and pick up all your other stuff. So if you need toilet paper and stuff like that, you can do all that too. Or some new sunglasses so you can wear them at night. And then So you can? So you can. Okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> So when you're done with that, um, yeah, and uh, when you're all done shopping, it just kicks a little bit of that money back to us, so that way we can continue bringing quality programming. Just remember, just like you yep. heard, just remember, clear out your cookies before yeah, doing so. Otherwise, shop is normal, no fees, no nothing. So that's right, Revan, guy named Joe, Lord Flagoon, Intern Chris, and Krebs. We'll be right back. Yes, we will. Woo-hoo. After a couple songs, we're gonna start with Boogie Woogie Hedgehog. We'll be back.
Because everybody's got to have a Pikachu. That's right. Welcome back to Dungeon Crawlers Radio. We've survived. You have now made it to level two. For those of you tuning in, you you either just listened to or just missed the an amazing interview with author Terry Vaughn talking. Yeah, sad if you missed it. Honestly, if you missed it, go back and listen to it again. You need to wait till the end of the show, then download the you know this on iTunes or Stitcher. I was literate. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Her new book, Dreams of a Golden Age, uh, is what we talked about, and then. Prior, we listened to two songs by Perry uh, Grip, Boogie Woogie Hedgehog and Me me and You and Pikachu. And then in between all of that, we played uh, Bloodbone by Stephen Tibbs. Bloodbone. Yeah. Which is, Stephen Thunder Tibbs. Yeah. Stephen Thunder Tibbs, words by author Shane Moore. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, with that said, Onward. we are on to the final half. Onward to glory! Of Dungeon Crawlers Radio. This is where things get completely crazy, chaotic, insane, and other things. So and important. 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 So for those of you that remember, we used to do a, sh- uh, a segment called Epic Showdown. Oh, we're doing that now. Uh, we've re- yes, we're, we're doing okay. that Okay. We brought that back. Uh, we've done one. We didn't do one last week, just because we were so I wasn't We were busy because of the twofer and... And it, Chris, the intern, was hiding in a cave again, and Joe was heavily medicated while having body parts ripped from his presence. Uh, he was only drawing quarter twice. He's good now. I'm good now. Yes. I got better. He's good. They applied some snow. We're, yeah. we're, we're good. I think it's Tiger Balm that they did. It was, yeah. That, that stuff, like, fixes everything. It does. Yeah. And Windex. And Windex. Windex. Yes. Never mind. It's from a bad movie. Wow. Okay. Um, oh, well, uh, I know on. a lot of girls are going to really hate me for saying that, though. My, my big fat Greek wedding. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> with that said, we did do our first one of the year was R two D two versus Twicky from Buck Rogers. R two D two one. Beady 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 depressing. Well, yeah. Kind of, no, he got he got beat down yeah. bad. It's kind of obvious that I was going to. R two pried case. off Doctor whatever his name was and pounded him over the head over and over again. Oh, it, it's because R two's God. <laughs> well, you, you're right. You did yeah. say R two was God. You a sonic screwdriver with a brain. You cannot <laughs> fight off God. Yeah, um, I think you have it there. He is a sonic screwdriver. Although that would be kind of an interesting, uh, interesting epic showdown: God versus somebody. Huh? Yeah. Uh, I think I have one. Okay, cool. You can do it. All yeah, right. God versus Zeus. Yep. All right. <laughs> All right. So, so, with that said, this tonight it, Epic Showdown is John Constantine. For those of you, yes, it wasn't the Keanu Reeves movie. It, he was a character Which was before an that. Okay, movie, but it, it wasn't. He is good. a DC Comics character or Vertigo before yeah, DC yeah. purchased it. Um, versus Dresden. Dresden. And for those of you that don't know who that is, go to Netflix and watch. No, don't watch Dresden on Netflix. Why not? Oh, heavens no. Oh, well, it, it's something if to watch. If you want to actually know the story, read well, the book. Read the books, but... But if you want to watch one guy that... The only part of the thing that plays Dresden well, the rest of the stuff is crap. Well, isn't that Especially the same, Bob. Isn't that the same as the Keanu Reeves movie, Constantine? The Constantine was at least okay. Okay. The show was crap. So with that said, how we do this... Is very simple. We have two members of our team debate this out. Uh, I'm going to have Flagoon moderate. Oh boy! Because 
it, it reasons. Kinda, yeah, because reasons. He's got reasons, and and it mixes no, things up. No, you've got reasons. Well, it mixes things up, and, and I think this will be fun, because one, you like picking on it, the intern. True. And uh, it'll be fun. So, Chris will be debating Dresden. Joe will be doing Constantine, and um, yeah. All right. So, so once we get this done, uh, you can vote for who you think should win. Because uh, it's all up to you. You can do it on Facebook. You can do it on Twitter, uh, or email us at info at dentalcarsradio dot com. So, Send in your votes. Yeah. All right. So all right. to figure out who's going to be going first, I'm actually going to play a little game here of uh, Rochambeau on your own. Uh, no, no Rochambeau. <laughs> this is actually uh, which Ninja Turtle am I thinking of? Raphael. Donatello. Joe has it. Oh, cool. How does Joe have it? Because I was thinking of Donatello. That is awesome. He does machines. Out of four. All right. Yeah. I'm uh, thinking of the okay. cool one. So, All right. so <laughs> how could, or why is Constantine your pick for the winner? So you're asking me why would he win? Why would he win? Why would he win? Well, because uh, even though he faced a very untimely demise while he was still in the Vertigo comics, being inducted into DC Comics uh, proper with the advent of the uh, New 52, as much as I am not a fan of the New 52, uh, but that does say something about uh, say something about the longevity of the character, especially considering that he's he's committed just about every every form of blasphemy that can be conceived um, at some at one point or another. And so there's 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 no real uh, keeping someone like Constantine away. You can delay him, but he's always going to keep coming back. He's kind of like a cockroach. You just you just can't kill him. Yeah, you can't really kill. All him. right. Okay, Chris. Same question. Why is how how why is Dresden going to win? Well, honestly, he's a wizard. <laughs> I mean, that's not all on it, but uh, he become he goes through. Uh, he he is, goes through hell constantly in every single book. Uh, like there hasn't been a time where he hasn't you know trudged through the muck just to be able to get to the next part of the story. Uh, and there's even one where he thought he was dead the entire time. Um, but he uh, can command the spirit of an island, and he's also the knight. Of the the Winter Queen in the Fae. So, come on. Right. That's a lot of power right there. So, he's got a lot of power behind him. All right. Next question. I'm going to start with Chris on this one. What weapons or tools does Dresden have to bring to this fight? Well, he always has his staff. Well, I wouldn't say always. He almost always has his staff. And... He has a pendant that actually protects him from a lot of things. And he also is more than willing to use a gun to shoot somebody in the face. All right, so then he can also make technology fail around him just by being there. So he has a gun. He can make technology fail. What, what were the other two? He has a pendant that protects him. He has a, a, pen, a pendant of protection. And, well... This was be- and he also has a staff, but he also has the power, the mantle of the. Uh, well, he has all of his magic spells, especially fire. Okay. He's really good with fire spells. 
Um, and he's also the knight of the Winter Court. All right. Which is, you know, a, like really a lot more powerful than what he was before. Okay. Joe, same question. What tools or what weapons does Constantine have to bring to this fight? Well, uh, John Constantine has been known to resort to some pretty untraditional methods to um, to achieve of his various forms of blasphemy. He was once known for uh, for aiding and abetting a an escaped angel by chainsawing its wings off. So he's not he is not above nor below using mundane items as established there. But he also has access to um, to a holy armory things that normally the Vatican could not even use. He is also uh, well-versed in, um, in most forms of incantations, both, uh, uh, of, uh, both Gaelic and African. I believe it's Gaelic, or um, I'm trying to remember the, the origins. He's, he's versed in, for, in forms of magic from two different continents. All right. Um, and he's also and he's got he's got friends in both high and low places. He routinely goes in, goes into hell and back, and he's bringing back stuff with him all the time. And uh, he's also homeboys with like some of the angels, like I just like I said. So I mean, there's there's nothing that's really going to be off limits to him, and he gets pretty creative. And that and he looks pretty he looks pretty hard ass when he's got that cigarette in his mouth. So. <laughs> All right, so this is going to be uh, last two questions. This one's going to start off with uh, with Joe. Why is Dresden going to lose? Why is he going to lose? Um, I think it will be a very fair fight, but I think Dresden will be a little out of his element. Because um, Constantine is... He doesn't really work for anyone. Mostly for himself. You know, but he, And he's also not above... Uh, not above helping out the world. That just sort of kind of happens, I guess. So I, I think Dresden being, um, I guess, uh, having a commitment um, for, for the most part, I think that's going to be his sort of downfall. He, had, he ultimately does have to take orders from someone. Constantine does, does it because he loves kicking demon butt. And Chris, same question. Uh, I, I got to say, it, it really sounds like Joe hasn't read the book because uh, Harry does not actually take orders from anybody. Even when he's the knight of the uh, Winter Court, he does things his own way. He doesn't actually like doing things anybody other's way. The only time he takes any kind of order is when he's like, oh, yeah, let's, uh, i got to pay some bills, so let me take a job. So when he goes and tries to you know, help somebody because he's a detective, you know, that's when he might actually take some sort of order that's more of like, this is what I, I need help with. But other than that, he doesn't take orders. And he's fought off demons, too. He's fought off dragons. He's fought off a lot of things. He's even had uh, those uh, the holy knights of God help him and even offer him the mantle of being one of, to use one of the swords. So I think that he actually would totally beat Constantine because Constantine has to rely on so many other people and so many of his stories. All right. So uh, my last question, this is, I'm actually going to put this, open this up for, for, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, so here's the rules for this next last question. You have 30 seconds to put all of your debates in one nice little 
little little uh, elevator speech. But while you are giving that speech, the opposing person is going to try to interrupt you or make you laugh or make you spit take or disrupt you for that 30 <laughs> seconds. Oh, wow. You're going to do psych out? So, yeah, you're going to – so so we'll start off with Chris. Chris, you get to uh, do your debate. Joe, you get to psych out. Yes, yes, we'll do it. It's going to call it the psych out. You, you'll psych out you, you psych out Chris. During that 30 seconds. I'll tell you when to begin. So, so I got 30 seconds to basically say how awesome Dresden is? Yeah, you 30 seconds to say how awesome Dresden and is. What, and how he'll win. And how he'll win. Basically surmising all of, your, uh, all of your debates together in one nice little spiel. But Joe has open ability to do whatever. Language. Language, language permitting, yeah. permitting to cause you to falter. Falter. So, are you ready for your thing? Oh, yeah. All right. Your time starts now. Well, Dresden would win because he would, you know, just set Constantine on fire and everybody around him. There is radio nudity happening. What? There is radio nudity happening. Oh, really? Yeah. I have to say so, that. Oh, my gosh. Not only would Dresden set him on fire. <laughs> what the crap are you doing? But... Uh, not only he would also shoot him in the face. You know there wouldn't be much reason to be able to, uh, you know, to fight. I have a feeling that even if Joe won, uh, lost this round, <laughs> I, he kind of won <laughs> just by himself. All right, Joe, are you ready for your psych out round? Sure. Chris, are you ready to psych out Joe? <laughs> Um, I don't think he can top what Joe just did, but okay. Let's hey, go. it's it's still it's possible. All right, Joe, your time begins. Let's see here. Well, now, okay. Constantine can do anything Dresden can do, and oh my gosh! Well, let's see. I need video of this. He, even though he was played by Keanu Reeves, there is man. Constantine <laughs> had a major motion picture. Dresden did not. The intern was like starting to cuddle, and he just finished. Look at that! Wow, with twenty seconds to spare, and Joe was like, "Anything you can wear, I can, can wear, wear better." <laughs> Without even be phased by the cuddling, the the very close man growth. All I can say <laughs> is that was epic. You just like ten second delivery done. Who cares what he was doing? Yep. All right. Chris, so, uh, Chris uh, well, the problem is, is neither one of us really have a personal battle, so it really wasn't yeah. going to work. Yeah. 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 Uh, although, I would have to say, you kind of paused a little bit more during the psych-out round. Yes. While Joe was... Uh, well, I was staring was at trying to figure out stuff. what uh, Krebs was saying. I'm like, what are you saying, Krebs? <laughs> he was more distracting than Joe was. I was Joe's secret weapon. <laughs> he was just sitting here. There's man nudity going on, or something. We, like there's that. radio nudity going oh, on. Radio right nudity. Teamwork. Hey, yeah. hey, hey! You said PG-13, and I know you can't see radio. <laughs> I know you can't. <laughs> All right. So for that, with that said, um, we need someone to make a post. Post uh, time. No, we need a yeah. So tune it. Cast your votes. So someone's gonna be making a post here very shortly. On our on our Facebook page, I'm not very you good can, with pictures. Someone you can uh, throw it on there. Pictures better than I do. Uh, uh, quick question though: yes. when they're making posts, are they posting who they thought made the better argument? No, are they, they are just voting, voting at who they want to win. So they'll be voting as fanboys. If you want to vote be, be based on who did the better argument, do that. 
if you want to post or vote based on who you want to win, then do that. I mean, obviously, we've had people come on the show and just throw a character out there for no reason other than, hey, I want to throw a character out there, and that character is one, even though they're not in our bracket. So, yes, Dan Wells, that's still you. Um, <laughs> with that said, go ahead, make, cast Raven your vote. still has not let that go. Dude, he's, back, he's coming back in August. I guarantee you he's going to do the same thing. And I that's okay. I, we love Dan. We love Dan for doing that. And Dan is the only person that I know can make Boba Fett lose. <laughs> no, no. Boba yeah. Fett can lose by all uh, yeah. loses he all by himself. Totally convinced the internet and the everyone that ever has ever listened to our show that Lion-O, in his leotard can yeah. win Boba Fett. Leo's Latin for lion. Solo yeah. <laughs> beat Boba Fett in yes. his battle so, prime. So all right, so go out, make your. Uh, well, it's not go very ahead, hard to believe it anyway. What do you got? Let's jump into geek news. Uh, let's barrel through this because we have four Gamer Forge emails. Four, four, yes. four. Yeah. <laughs> right, so uh, there's not a lot each. out there. Yeah, let's do one each. And I've got a lot, uh, actually, but that's okay. We'll start with the intern, oh. Chris. I think one of the uh, inter- most interesting things that I uh, came across on the interwebs was uh, China's uh, Great Wall of uh, Great Firewall of China had actually uh, allowed 500,000 people to go to two internet sites that uh, they were trying to block and inadvertently caused a DDoS attack to those sites. And then they started saying, oh, maybe it's hackers, but then their uh, uh, company that actually takes care of the censorship was like, this actually looks more like there was a mistake in an upgrade in long-term jargony way. And everybody else is like, yeah, it looks more like you guys just made a mistake and just wanted to blame hackers. So what you're saying is China hacked itself? Yep. Awesome. It was pretty awesome. Wow. That's some hardcore censoring. And they DDoSed it to a website. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that China. Yeah, it was only 500 500 million people that were going to the two same places. So not a big (laughs) deal, right? All right. Nice. All right. Who's next? Joe, sure. Joe? Why not? Um, see here. So it was really uh, a, a an early script for Quentin Tarantino's new movie, The Hateful Eight, was leaked online <laughs> thanks to some uh, douchebag. That's the wording that was used to describe it. They and are. So, so, uh, so as a result, uh, Tarantino will no longer be creating that movie at all. Oh. He's, he's he's pretty much scrapping it because he didn't want anybody to see the draft of it before it came out. What? In my opinion, that's kind of... I don't see that as I, a loss, really. It's not really a loss, but at the same time, I i think it's a really good stand. They, had to, do, they had to do the same thing to uh, Terminator Salvation. They yeah. had to do a rewrite because yeah. it got leaked, and yeah. they had to do the same... Well, that was one of the other things that caused the Matrix trilo- or, uh, sequels to uh, fall flat because... Well, that was one of the few That was things. That was one of, that the, was one many, of the minor one things. One of the many things minor? that happened yeah. that, that <laughs> destroyed that, uh, that series. You know, see, this is what I think about that series. One, when there's one screw-up and you have to do a rewrite, okay, hey, we can go on. Fool me once, when shame you're, on you. When your main actress dies in a plane crash... And you have to do a rewrite and make changes. Okay, maybe you should think, should we be doing this? And then a third thing happens where another main character dies. It's like, okay, 
Something's wrong. <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to be doing this. But the let's fates, still go ahead and do it. Are telling hey, us hey, something. it didn't stop people from making the crow. Yeah, well, that's just another can of worms. It also didn't yeah. stop them from making the crow, the television series, or the two sequel movies. Or the new that one coming out. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm just saying, it doesn't stop people, even though they know that there's something yeah. wrong. <laughs> On we go. So, an unreleased Mortal Kombat parody game is uh, appeared on uh, eBay. An Ooh. original working tattoo assassin's machine, which only uh, 20 have been made, is uh, supposedly up for sale up on eBay. Starting bid at $3,000 and no takers yet. Uh, so, tattoo assassins, it's basically Mortal Kombat 2, but with... Uh, Tattooed characters, and it uh, looks like uh, rumors of uh, nudalities. So uh, this is one of those things. That, oh, that, if it has that, nudalities, that, I was going to ask that for That was your, one of the ones that said the whole, have them, uh, the, yeah. the whole... That ruins it. Yeah, internet, or not the internet, but the, the whole mothers against good gaming people on fire. But There's yeah. plenty of other games well, out there that yeah. they could have been fighting against instead. It's a little <laughs> piece of gaming history is up for sale, and you could get it. For three grand. Just borrow Flagoon's wallet, and you'll be able to get it be yours. I'm just um, kidding. <laughs> no, there, there isn't any money in Flagoon's wallet. It is sadly empty. You would have to travel here from wherever you are to find it, though. And you would be very upset. You would, you would have spent more on your plane tickets than what you'd get out of my wallet. <laughs> awesome. And next. That's you. Krebs gets to go. Let's see if he has anything good. You know, I, I was going to go with a legit story. I think this time I'm going to go with a rumor because the rumor is just too interesting. Okay. Now, I have to stress this. This is just a rumor. Okay? But just two days ago, uh, theoretical, well, not theoretical, uh, alleged specifications for Nintendo's next console and portable offering has hit the web. Now, uh, collectively, these two units are referred to as Fusion, and there is definitely talk of interoperability between the two devices, and then they give all the technical specs. What's interesting is that the portable device sports a four-core processor uh, built on the ARM V8A architecture. So those who know ARM, nice. that's interesting. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I have no idea what you talked about. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it has kind of a beefy GPU, but the system is the console is going to, again, allegedly sport a Radeon HD ARC 200 series uh, GPU with some custom loadouts. It's, it's pretty, pretty beefy in terms of Nintendo. This is interesting to me because I was a fanboy of Nintendo all the way through GameCube. Then the Wii happened, and I hated them ever since. I like my Wii because I have a sonic screwdriver controller. <laughs> I like my Wii too. That's the only I, reason I, I like it. I have a hard time as a as a hardcore gamer waggling my way to victory <laughs> in my thirties. I I enjoyed the Wii only slightly. I, I'd say the only thing it really did was it made uh, Resident Evil Four actually playable for me. Yeah, I actually found I, I, it was a lot of fun uh, doing the the Resident Evil Four the the way they mapped out the game functioning functionality or the control functionality for the. The uh, four, um, Resident Evil Four, but it's, it's I definitely my first not. Time was good uh, on it too. Twilight, it's definitely not a hardcore gamer. Twilight, like system. I still haven't finished Twilight Princess, but then again, I that was like the first 
Zelda game I've ever even thought, or I've actually even bought. So, you know, that might just be Zelda's not really my bag of tri- bag of tricks. If I want to practice but, shooting a bow, I go get one. You know, yeah. th- there there's only like of of all the ga- Wii games that were out there, there's only like well, I'd say only really two games. There's Resident Evil Four. And there's no more heroes. The first one, not the second one, which was just an obvious cash-in for money. Money. And Monster Hunter Tribe for those Monster Hunter fans. I like that game. Uh, never fan. played it. I don't know many people that are online, though. though never had any desire to play it. Yeah. See, here's the, the, what makes this interesting to me, though, is that based on these specifications, Nintendo, if, if these are real, Nintendo is looking at getting back into the hardcore gamer market, which they have allegedly stepped away from to do what they've been doing. I argue that's never been the intent. Their intent has always been to compete, and they've competed well, but they sell that public line of, oh, well, we're not trying to be a hardcore console BS. You're trying we're to a family game. They, they, so they Wii beat has, out the other consoles yeah, the without Wii a problem. The Wii has been failing, and so has the Wii U. So, yeah, well, the Wii yeah. U has been an abysmal showing, especially in comparison to the Wii. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's, I think that's actually why this rumor got so much traction. Uh, is because they're saying that this is their sort of their penance. They're trying to make up for. Yeah, I, I think they that are sounds good. a little better than my Nintendo news that I found. Yeah, with the drugs. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I like your ideas. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to read that article, could I spend the whole time going? <laughs> well, you do that. I go. Unfortunately, he's only got the one. All right. So we're gonna jump into mine. Uh, so this one's actually kind of funny. So this one, this is actually an actual news. Uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, it's pretty a, funny. A, so, a video game thief called in ahead to GameStop to, to GameStop to make sure his PS4 was there. Yeah. And I then, it was an Xbox One. So was he a, right, a video me. game thief before uh, he called? Excuse me, Xbox One. Yes. Yeah, so, it was it was an, so it was an Xbox One. So he called in, made sure it was there because he ordered it. it, went in. And then shoplifted it. Awesome. Yeah. That's called planning. Yeah. <laughs> so surveillance video shows the man arrives Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. to a GameStop store in Madison in a Nissan Versa. The car circled the parking lot for more than an hour before the driver eventually worked his way close. Because that's uh, how you know thieves do it. They like to circle. Yeah. Uh, like vultures. So <laughs> once the crook was inside... He is seen on security video pulling a black semi-automatic handgun on the clerk before grabbing a bag full of his pre-ordered goodies, an Xbox One, and $200 worth of kid-friendly games to go with it, plus about $600 from the register. The suspect then forces the clerk onto the ground before running out. Police describe the suspect as black. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, so yes, some... They describe him as stupid because he reserved that stuff. Which means he gave them his information. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. And not only that, he called in prior to make sure it was there. Probably from an unblocked number, I assume. <laughs> nah. He called in from his cell phone. Hey, uh, I'm just making sure my gate, my Fox One is there in case somebody might have stolen it. For, for those yeah. of you that want to go out and look at it, there is video of this. Oh, man. Is, yeah. it, is it with Wackety Sacks from Benny Hill? Because that would be great. Uh, it almost should be. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, <laughs> that's our geek news. I know it was small, but we had to end it with a laugh. So, all right. Gamer Forge. Let's <laughs> jump into that. Pretty good. Uh, we've almost got about 20 minutes yep. left of the show. 
Uh, we do have four Gamer Forges on tap, so everyone will be able to jump in, talk about these. Yep. Uh, Take it one at a time. Now, the, the thing about the Gamer Forges is these are really, really getting popular. Uh, I have one that almost looks like it's two pages long. I don't know if we're going to answer that tonight. Didn't we impose a word limit on these things? Uh, we asked him to be as concise as possible, but he's well, giving we, us the reason and the background behind okay, it. Okay, so we'll, let's, let's start with the let's start it off with just the question. You know, yeah. good and enough. then if, it, if we cannot use just the question mm-hmm. to spur the conversation... Yeah. Then we can just like use parts yeah. from the from that. Yeah, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave that right towards out. the end for that one. Uh, let's work on the other ones. Our grand finale. Yeah, because if we can't that one, we put out the fireworks. Yeah, like they're we outside, do. and you're not gonna be able to hear them. No, no, they're in, they're or they're, see them. They're invisible fireworks. But just no, but just, we got them from one. No, no, Wonder. there's really no, fireworks. They're really oh. fireworks. They're they really just can't fireworks. see them. They're on you're the radio. Not be able to see Hello. them or hear them. Okay, so. We have really good aerials. They go really high. Yeah. Okay. If you say so. Okay. So let's jump in here. La, 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 la. This is what I get. Uh. All right. So the first one is from Lewis. Hello, Lewis. This one's, uh, one's going to be very... Good simple. evening, Lewis. In D&D. Some the answer tre- is throw a die at your DM. Roll for initiative. That's how you get struck by lightning. All right. In D&D, some creatures and players... Races have dark vision. Can a character or monster with dark vision see in pitch blackness? In, the reason I ask is in real life, animals with dark vision see by reflecting the light off their eyes. So if it is too dark, like in a cave with no exits, for example, they can't see. Of course, D&D is a game about magic and fantasy, so the real world doesn't necessarily apply here. Go! We're, we're just waiting for <laughs> Furion to give us the next one. Well, it could be answer. you, it could be Krebs. Anyone want to jump on this one? Uh, may I just jump in, and, and I will go on the record and say, I'm not a huge D&D player, but I have played it before, and I love role-playing games in general. Okay. And I would argue that dark vision insinuates low-light vision, but not pitch-black vision. You don't have, you don't have IR vision mm-hmm. to amplify the tiniest speck of light. Like you said, it ref- the animals will reflect light off their eyes, but what if there is no light, or what if there are not enough photons? Mm-hmm. This is low-light vision. This isn't pitch-black vision. Okay. Well, um, I, there's, uh, they make the di- there's a distinction between the low-light vision and the dark vision. Yeah. Dark vision is, uh, uh, is described, at least in, once they made the transition from 2nd edition to 3rd edition, yeah. they had to make the distinction there. Uh, dark vision um, does allow... Um, it's in shades of gray. If yeah, I it, it, it's effe- it's effectively like low light vision, but you cannot make out colors. Yeah, everything becomes kind of fuzzy and black and white. Yeah, this so, is actually coming from D and D wiki. Dark vision is the extraordinary ability to see with no light source at all. Well, I'm wrong. Extraordinary. Out of. Uh, Stop see. using the internet to make us wrong. <laughs> Out to the range specified for the creature. Dark vision is black and white only. Colors cannot be discerned. It does not allow characters to see anything that they could not see otherwise. Invisible objects are still invisible, and illusions are still visible as what they seem to be. Likewise, dark vision uh, subjects a creature to gaze attacks normally. 
Uh, the persistence okay. of light does not spoil dark vision. Nice. Honestly, I still like the low light idea better. Well, Sounds much more I mean, plausible. Well, they had to do well, something they, because second edition was infrared. Infrared. Yeah, yeah. Literally saw infrared. In, yeah, in infrared, and which always they, confused me because, in my mind, you could see something invisible because they're still giving us. Yeah. Um, and that, that and like it, you you if you start reading uh, a Forgotten Realms book yeah. that was written prior during, to during uh, yeah. during second edition, like. The the authors had to find some pretty uh, sneaky ways to uh, to uh, get their their characters to be uh, to be stealthy. Because, uh, oh, he he snuck into a heat pocket. Yeah, I mean, just read any of Bob Salvatore books prior to third edition. Yeah, the, any know, of the Homeland books. I mean, they they talk about how they they would touch rocks and that to make tr- you know markers uh, because their heat would stay in the rock. Um, so it was really interesting. And then, you know, third edition. It'd be interesting to see with the new edition if that comes back, if infravision comes back and low light goes away, or if they keep it. So I, I got a feeling they're going to keep the low light dark vision. Yeah. Because they they had to draw a distinction between low light and dark vision, as yeah. Joe was ta- was ta- speaking about before. So, yeah, dark vision you see in the dark. Low yeah. light vision you can see better in low lighted situations. Okay. And, you know, you know, you guys are saying infrared. For thermal vision, right? Yeah, it is thermal. Because infrared is actually seeing the reflection of infrared light. Well, they called it infravision. Okay. Yeah. So but the way infrared is just amplified being able to see infrared but, light. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. actual heat. Not, yeah. not seeing heat source. But the way it was yeah. described in the books and in the playing manuals, infravision was heat vision. Yeah. Okay, then you should be saying infravision instead of infrared vision. All right, well, we're just... Well, it, I, I'm sorry, it just bothers me when people use infrared wrong. Okay. I mean, come on. Okay. We're turning his mic off. Uh, <laughs> all right, all so... Right. Second question. I think we're, we've got that one covered. Second question. This one's from Calvin Jacobson. Hello, Calvin Jacobson. An orange ion stone adds a plus one caster level. What does this affect? Duration from spells like fireball, duration and area of effect, Amount of effect, spells known by a wizard, uh, anything else? I mean, what does that affect? All of the above. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it literally. It makes you. It like, makes you one level higher. So if yeah. you're a level five wizard, you're now a level six wizard. As, as far as your, as far your, as your no, spell you're casting, as yes. far as a level six yes. wizard. Yes. I, honestly, I think that's, that, it. that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. Plus okay. one caster level. Yeah. So um, there you go, Galvin. Hopefully that answered your question. Now, I'm gonna have to stretch really hard to come up with some funny <laughs> make, stuff for that. Make that one really stretch because that one was like, "Yep, that's it. You're good to go, guys. You're good. You're out of here." Uh, George Michael. Uh, George Michael, thing. really? Television show. He <laughs> is this junior or senior, <laughs> or the third? I'm not gonna say the the at, at what's after the at symbol, but portion of his email is Georgie boy. All right, George Michael. You're my friend. <laughs> Uh, recently in a game, the issue arose of whether a wizard is affected by his or her own casting of the of the Everd's Black Tentacle spell. We all agreed that both enemies and allies alike that are located within the area of effect are targeted by the tentacles grapple uh, attempts. However, what if the caster applies his spell to an area he or she is currently standing in, or if he or she moves into the area of effect? Would not... Uh, we could not agree on a ruling, and no one could find a rule in the book to settle the issue. In the interest of avoiding conflicts and saving times, we decided to contact you guys. 
So, so this is a spell that has an area effect, but it's a uh, kind of like a projectile. It goes to a specific spot so and affects that area. So you cast it in an area, tentacles come up, and it grabs a hold of people yeah. and pretty much so pulls it, them So it goes to a specific area. It's not just area effect around the caster. Yeah. Well, he, he could drop it on him in the area he's in, yes. Yeah. Okay, because if it's one that you're specific to an area, that sounds more like it would affect him, too, versus one that automatically just is area effect around him. Well, I mean, he, at least in my opinion, he is casting the spell, so I don't see how it would affect him because he's kind of controlling yeah, the spell. Yeah, because he can, he can I, I mean, one ruling would be that he can just direct the tentacles himself, so yeah. he just... I, I, I don't know, it just feels like, since it's something that you can specify the area that it's affecting instead of it's just an area effect around him... Does he give an actual name of the spell? It's Bam. Yeah, Evard's Ev- Black Tentacles. What I'm wondering, though, this is what kind of got me a little confused here, is why didn't the Dungeon Master just make a call and run with it? Um, probably Rather we've... than wait for us so to respond to this that? Is because this they love just... us. Well, they love us. This is where... <laughs> well, that's... Yes. This is where... That's a truism. I'm going to at least <laughs> jump in and probably say, it's probably an inexperienced DM. Or Maybe. two, the DM is the guy's friend and he doesn't want to offend him. Or three, they just love us. This guy is very powerful personality and the dm maybe doesn't have as powerful and he can't but stand up don't we outline in the ten commandments that the dungeon master is the final arbiter and all he things? is but that's only if the dungeon master steps up i mean if the dungeon master that's doesn't, very true so i mean, step then, up, I mean it's kind of hard ultimately, okay. then this comes down to a fail of the hey, dungeon master. Oh, I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading the uh the text on this thing and it says that every creature in the area is affected by the spell so See, that's what I was thinking. If you're stupid enough to drop, drop it on yourself, a tentacle trap under your feet, and you don't make the the strength score, the strength, the the uh, the check, the grapple check, you are subject to the damage and cured by this spell. See, that's what I was thinking. Kind of like a bear trap. You set down a bear trap. If you go and step in it because you set it down, doesn't mean that it's not going to go off. Well, that's that's different than magic, though. Well, it does because if, no, if you cast burning hands that, upon yourself, your hands aren't burning. Yeah, but well, that is specific to something that's around you versus something you're setting to a certain point. Say, if you set up a fire trap, you go trip it. Who's going to get affected? You are going to get affected too. It sounds like based on the game description. That this is a non-discerning piece of magic. It yeah. is a magic landmine, I guess. It, it's like yeah. Wall of Blades. Yeah. It's, it's a magic landmine, and I understand it's magic, but it's still a landmine. And it's mm-hmm. non-discerning. You're faced from this thing. You can't program it not to go off in these cases. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like once you set the trap, you take on the responsibility of not getting eaten by the ground sarlacc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So See, that's what I, I like was thinking. So indeed, and going back to the Ten Commandments, you uh, if you you live with the consequences of your own actions. So if you were yeah. dumb enough to do it, then you deserve to have it happen. And if the, the question is kind of coming: where are these where are these tentacles spawning from? It really like it's they're, they're magical tentacles. Yeah. They're spawning from the magic itself. Because yeah. it also says that it uh, can be uh, it. Uh, these waving uh, members seem to spring forth from the earth floor or whatever the surface is underfoot. Including water, yeah. so it doesn't matter. Like, like you know, if if they're kind of thinking like, oh, well, they, they're poking out in various random spots. Yeah. Yes, they are, 
but they affect everything in everything their that ra- within their reach. Yeah. It's pretty much like opening a rift yeah. that they come out of, yeah. and only That's it comes out of it, yeah. and it grabs anything in its area. Yeah. yeah. See, it's not like they actually control the tentacles. I, I like the landmine yeah. analogy. Yeah. You know, the, the, the landmine, you like said it, if you step So we have no clue what just happened there, folks. Yeah, we were talking. We had a really awesome thing, and then it just went whoop. Well, you know what happened? Chris accidentally dropped a tentacle monster beast. We had to fight it off. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a bear Thanks trap. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thought it was a bear trap. Yeah, you we thought have a lot it was of bears a bear here. trap, but oh, no, it was a tentacle trap. Leave the landmines alone. I'm, I'm sorry. We have a lot of bears in West Valley. I mean, they're knocking at our doors. Okay. The good news <laughs> is we pulled a Boba Fett. And we got ourselves out of the ground hole full of tentacles. Okay. <laughs> it's a good thing it takes so long to digest. Yes. <laughs> it is very, very good. All right. So. So, let's wrap up the last portion of our show. The big one. The big one with nine minutes to go. So, who is this last one from? Let me pull it up. Well, you know what's sad? This is like... The first time I've ever bothered wikiing any of or uh, googling. No, it's any of, been awesome. Yeah, it's helped. We need to do this more often. Yeah, it totally made me right. See, this is why <laughs> he's not the intern. Totally made me wrong. <laughs> what? No, I was right. This one is from Richard po- Richard Porter. Hello, Richard. You're my friend. Richard Porter. Richard Porter. Everybody's apparently Krebs friend except Lagoon. All right. Good. I've started playing. <laughs> I started playing an evil character in a group of neutral and good characters. We are traveling in a caravan through an undead-ridden world. No teleportation or plane traveling possible. We travel from city to city to trade, but we specifically handle protection. Let's see. Uh, My character is human. Gish specialized on taking out monks. Lots of low-level monsters and encounters, though we are level All I hear is mumbling. I don't really hear what he's saying. I think he's trying to get to the actual I'm trying to find the freaking question here. (laughs) Well, you know what helped us find this actual question? If you were to have sent us this before the show. I know, but it's been a crazy week. So get off my back. No, (laughs) I I can't do it. His mount had been crippled, and he had to find a new one. Sorry. He couldn't just you know, summon a new one. Yeah, so, the, the, so hold on, uh, hold listeners on. out there, this is Hang why on. we impose, yes. please keep it down to like 100 words or less. Yeah, if it's a please. long question or if, it's a, if, if there's a lot of setup to it. If you have to write a novella put to the tell us at the, the question. Beginning of <laughs> yeah. Seriously, this is almost a novella. <laughs> yeah, or, okay. or better yet, call So basically, in. this is what I'm getting from the gist of it because I'm not going to read any more of this. Basically, he's with a group of good and neutral characters and he wants to create a very evil character and be able to get away with doing evil or, as he puts it, dastardly deeds without them catching him. Can I, uh, can I throw this one out first? Sure. Go right ahead. Don't be that guy. Yeah? Don't be that guy because when you're in a group setting and you're, and you're playing this game, you are playing this game together. That includes the DM. Mm-hmm. You are all playing the game Together and the entire time that you're playing this discordant character. What the heck? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry. What did you do? We're, we're, I'm just checking something. I was about to drop. Go ahead. Wisdom. Go for it. Drop the wisdom bomb. Okay. Uh, 
interrupt this. No, it, it's going. It's he, just another totally side, just a side program was doing something else. Right, sorry, flow. Let me just life DVR for a second. When you're playing this discordant character, the rest of the players around you who have to play in character, including the DM, are now constantly asking the question, do I stop him? Do I stop him? Do I stop him? How would my character react? You guys aren't really working together at that point. They're all working alongside of you until you screw up in a way that forces their hand. Okay? So being a purely evil character who's going to go kill completely helpless monks, maybe they're fighting monks, I don't know, who's going to go kill monks and who's going to go, like, murder children and make a... Everybody's fighting monks. <laughs> being that guy forces all the other players to have to play against you instead of the story. And that's not cool. Yeah, that's never cool. Don't be that guy. If yeah, you don't. are wanting to be an evil person, you're just going to have to do a lot of stuff behind everybody's back. You're not going to you don't want to do the evil things to your party, but you want to be sneaky about it. You're going to have to do a lot of stealth checks or make sure that everybody's gone while you're doing stuff. And then while doing that, yeah. just like Krebs said, they're going to the, the the players who, you know, are going to know what you're plan- what you're doing are going to try to kind of stop you from doing that and then that's going to dissuade from the actual story. Now, yeah. this is just like an open, you know, trek thing where, you know, everybody's just kind of, you're just kind of, you know, on for an adventure and you're not really doing anything directly and you're just going from town to town to town to town and it keeps on getting uh, attacked by orcs, then yeah, by all means do that, but if you actually have a cohesive narrative or a an actual like story or a quest that your DM's trying to send you on, don't try to defer them away from. Well, I wouldn't say don't try to defer them away from it, but let them have their fun. It's you know it's a collective group of enjoyment. If you're just going to try to side, you know, just just untra- or uh, detract everything. Mm-hmm to just your character, it only becomes fun for you and Indeed. everybody else just kind of... I would say the... It's not fun if it's at someone else's expense. I, wow, that's weird. I think that everybody playing these kind of games, they should be following the golden rule. Do unto others. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. What are you doing? You're, you're, you're cutting out. You're cutting out. So, God. honestly, I would say this, very simply. This doesn't really work unless it's part of the story. If it's part of the story, it can it works. Uh, you know, it's, there's a couple examples. You know, l- much like Marsh uh, in uh, the Mistborn series. You know, he's he's a good character, but something happens to him, and there's an outside influence that's influencing him, him and him making evil. him very evil, doing some really evil acts. Mm-hmm. Even though he himself is, is not a evil. good character yeah. consciously, so there could be forces that could make this happen, but it has to be an integral part of the story. It can't just because you want to be the jerk and just do these things. So if you can work with your DM and make it part of the story, then that could work. Yeah. But it has to be... It has to work I would in say, that way. I'd say with a certain co- with a couple caveats. Yeah. Though. One being is you're probably not going to be able to get away with this evil all the time. No, no. You only really have to be evil once to be considered evil evil. Yeah. You know, you only have to see... You only have to waterboard your friend once. Yeah, yeah. and then you're kind of known for that. Well, and not only that, I mean, just look at... <laughs> Anna, I, as much as I don't want to go to to Hayden Christensen, look at Anakin. 
once he crossed that line of that really evil act and got caught, Yoda and Obi-Wan saw him. What happened? Obi-Wan came after him. Yep, oh, he's and on the fought dark side him. now. And, well, obviously he lost. Yeah. You know, that's going to happen. It's going to be, they're going to catch you, and then they are going to, because of their alignment, turn against you and destroy you. Well, the I'm glad he referenced the movie yeah. I've, well, uh, sure. that never happened. Never yeah. Happened. Yeah. Hey, yeah. If I can just put the cherry on top sure, of go. Being the evil character is not the same thing as being an anti-hero. Yes, correct. Hmm. And it's also not the same thing as being the jerk in the party. <laughs> yeah, there is. Yeah. All right. I think, well, well, I I think, think we killed this thing. I think we killed this. Even though it was very long and I didn't want to read all of it, that was pretty much the gist of it. We have defeated it. the boss. We have. We uh, killed the boss. We squished it, and we, we kicked him yeah. out before the monologue. Hey, was ended. That's right. hey, was there anything in his pockets? Because I was looking for a few gold. Experience. Um, yeah. Experience. I get for the bard? So, <laughs> uh, so before we uh, before we just have to start heading out because it's uh, yeah. starting that time. See? We got sixty so, seconds. So, so special thanks to NB Design Studios for designing our logo. Visit nbdesignstudios.com. Talk to Nate. He'll get yourself a logo hooked up. Yes. And awesome. I was head over to uh, Epic Puzzles and Games for all of your gaming needs, located in West Valley City and also in Lehigh. Yes. Do that. And not only that. Even if you live in another country. So uh, next week, we will be talking to author Richard Lee Byers, talking about his new book, The Reaver, Woo-hoo! which is next in the Sundering series, as well as The Plague Knight and other stories. Yay! Uh, this week, uh, during the weekend, we'll be stopping in uh, with Aerostorm uh, Entertainment to check out the Mythica set, and we'll be getting some videos, so check that out. As well as check out Firebird's uh, Gamer Girl segment that we'll be posting tomorrow. Yes, it's a video. You get to see what Firebird looks like. With that said, uh, we're out of here. We are? Oh, man. It's another another showdown. So, minus a hole in my mouth, good night, Salt Lake, good night, world, and as always, get more from your games. Conan, what is, the best, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of the women. Ah! Oh,